and welcome to episode two of Christmas Book Review. I'm Carrie Mercer, and I'm here to tell you about three new books. The first one is called Hark the Herald Angels Scream, edited by Christopher Golden. It is a short story anthology, so all different writers. The second one is called Christmas Days, 12 Stories and 12 Feasts for 12 Days by Jeanette Winterson. And that one is also short stories, but it's all by the same author, Jeanette Winterson. And the third one I'll talk about is Claws by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Dan Mora. And that is a graphic novel for adults, not really for kids, too violent. So these three books, I enjoyed all of them. I did enjoy the Jeanette Winterson collection the most. I would give that a 10 out of 10 on the Christmas spirit scale. It was just absolutely fabulous. Hark the Herald Angels Scream is a horror anthology, so it's very different from the Jeanette Winterson collection, but I enjoyed that one too. I'd probably give that a 7 out of 10 on the Christmas spirit scale. And then the third one, Claws, the graphic novel, I'd probably give that about a seven as well. I enjoyed it. It was strange, but um, Grant Morrison is always strange, so <laughs> I should have expected that. And it was ultimately a good story. So let me tell you about the first book, and that's Hark the Herald Angels Scream, a short story anthology edited by Christopher Golden. Now, this just came out last year in 2018, so it's pretty new. I felt like this was a little bit uneven. I really liked about eight of the 18 stories, so that's pretty good. Almost half of them I really liked. The rest of them were probably a split between mediocre and really bad. <laughs> So it's somewhat uneven, but I I always like anthologies because then if you find a story you really like and it's done by an author you're not familiar with, then you can go find more stuff by that author. So I'm going to tell you about, like I said, the eight or so stories that I really liked from this anthology. And I actually listened to it on audiobook instead of reading it. And I really liked the audio version. So the second story is called Christmas in Barcelona, and it's by Scott Smith. I felt like this was very Christmassy because it's about a new baby, and the couple has longed for a baby for a pretty long time, it sounds like. It's sort of about the reality of how hard parenting is. And the narrator is the husband, and he tells how they decide to go to Barcelona for Christmas. Um, I think they're flying from the United States, and he says how the baby cries the entire flight to Barcelona, which, of course, is exhausting <laughs> for the other passengers as well as the parents themselves. And they are, because they're exhausted, they're kind of sniping at each other and just really grumpy. And then when they get there, 
their luggage has been lost. So <laughs> not a great vacation so far. They go to their hotel and the baby is still crying. He finally goes out to get something to eat and it, it's either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and he can't find any place that's even open because it's Christmas. And so he gets lost because he ends up going too far afield and doesn't know where he is. He's not familiar with the streets. And there's not many people out, but he does meet this old woman who has a kind of a booth um, where she's selling what look to be little crash figurines. They can't quite communicate with each other because she doesn't speak English and he doesn't speak her language. So they kind of use sign language and body language to communicate. And he feels like he should buy something from her. So he ends up buying some of these figurines. And then he finally finds his way back to the hotel and shows his, his wife these figurines. So I'm not going to say much more about it. Just that I was really captured by this story. The ending had me gasping aloud because I just totally did not see it coming. So very satisfying story. The second one I really liked was by Seanan McGuire, who is an author I was already familiar with. I love her stuff. This one is called Fresh as the New Fallen Snow, and it's about a couple of kids who are more like accessories than actual people for their rich, very cold parents. They just kind of use them in social situations to get themselves points with their friends and other people they want to impress. So these poor kids are not being treated well. And then around Christmas time, the parents get a babysitter. Their usual babysitter is not available, but someone shows up. And so they leave their kids with this babysitter and go out to party on the town. And the babysitter tells the kids a story about the snow maiden, Snigaruchka. And I actually looked this up on Wikipedia, no less. And this is a real figure, although she did not appear in folklore until the 19th century in Russian folklore. So she's kind of new as folklore goes. Anyway, the babysitter tells the kids this story about the snow maiden and how the snow maiden kind of judges parents and believes that there's a special place in hell for parents who don't treasure their children as they should. So she tells this story and things happen and I'm not going to tell much more, but I really liked this story. The feel of it is very Christmassy, kind of telling a folkloric story. And of course, the snow. Also, it captures the sort of mix of kindness and creepiness, I think, of some of the aspects of Christmas. I mean, if you think about it, Santa is basically a guy who breaks into your house at Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, I really liked this figure, and it was a very satisfying ending. I'll leave it at that. But just to say a little more about 
Snegorochka, she was seen as a figurine around the time of the Soviet era. And because during that time, it was illegal for Russian citizens to celebrate Christmas, they celebrated New Year's instead. And there were Snegorochka figurines that people would have um, to decorate their trees with. The next story I really liked is called Not Just for Christmas by Sarah Lotz. This is about Jake and Amira who are separated, and Jake is trying to get back together with Amira, so he gets his kids a gen pet, which is basically an android puppy. So we've got kind of a mix of science fiction and horror going on here. So the gen pet is very easy to take care of. It only poops odorless pellets. Kind of like the toy Baby Alive, if anyone remembers that. You would give it water, and then it would come out the other end. I don't know why that was fun. I never wanted one. Anyway, <laughs> the Gen Pet is similar to that. So he tries to tell Amira that this will help the kids learn responsibility, even though Gen Pets are advertised as taking all the work out of having a pet. And the puppy stays a puppy forever, which would seem like a good thing to kids. So the kids get bored with it, inevitably, as kids do with most toys, eventually. So Jake gets an upgrade, but with this upgrade, the Gen Pet has ads. And so just like our internet ads today, these ads on the Gen Pet are based on the owner's interests. Because of this, Jake's porn subscription is revealed, which does not impress Amira, so he kind of screwed up there. And then after that, the gen pet gets hacked and is saying all kinds of inappropriate things to the children. So Amira finally tells Jake he has to get rid of it. Um, she does not want it in the house anymore. And his attempt to ditch it is unsuccessful and it's also very funny. There's a great ending. The title, of course, kind of refers to foolish people who get puppies for Christmas for their children, and they aren't ready to take care of that little creature for the rest of its life. So that was a great one. The next story that I really liked was called Good Deeds by Jeff Strand. I was laughing out loud at this one. It was so funny. It starts out kind of inconspicuously enough, with the narrator feeling miserable at Christmas time because his wife left him and took the kids. He's waiting in line to buy a present for his kids when he overhears this sob story from a kid who's trying to buy some $80 tennis shoes with something like 30 cents. He's telling the storekeeper how his mother is dying of cancer and has a brain aneurysm. It's just a story that's way over the top. The narrator buys it, though, and so he buys the shoes for the kid. And then he feels incredibly good about himself. What a good deed he's done. So he goes home and writes a song about the experience. Um, it's a very sad song, but he thinks it's fantastic. So he plays it for his new wife, who listens to it, and then shoots herself because it's just too sad. 
Um, <laughs> I know it sounds horrible. It's very dark humor. This story is, but it's so on the nose with the idea of people who only act charitably at Christmas and then only so they can feel good about themselves. The next story that I really liked is called Honor Thy Mother by Angela Slater. This is about Agnes, a woman who's getting old and her adult sons want to put her in an old folks home. And they're trying to talk to her about it at this Christmas time gathering at her home. And she is not agreeing to it. She lives in Salem, Massachusetts, but her house evidently has no witchy history to it, which a lot of the houses in Salem do. Instead, something else seems to be going on. She thinks how she misses her old life and how she gave up everything for these boys who are now men. And it sounds like she could be describing any mother who gives up a lot to take care of her children. But she's talking about something else, too, and it works on multiple levels, which I really like. The boys never visit her, at least never all at once, but this year she insisted. And she is getting ready to leave or go, but you don't know where or what exactly she means. So that's kind of the reveal at the end. I thought that one was Christmassy just because the idea of the whole family getting together at Christmas time and how there can be some unpleasantness <laughs> between members of the family, um, which happens a lot at Christmas. So the next one I liked was called Home by Tim LeBon. This was a post-apocalyptic story. I didn't quite understand it, but I really enjoyed it. And I would read it again. There's more I could get out of it. And it just made me think a lot afterwards. It's kind of about the Santa Claus figure. And it's just got a, a different take on it. So it's not... I don't know. Some of these stories I, I wouldn't necessarily classify as horror. You know, they're not all gruesome horror for sure. And this one, I don't even know if I would call it horror so much as fantasy so the last one I really like happens to be the last story in the book, and it's called The Hangman's Bride by Sarah Pinborough. It's a long short story, and it is a ghost story, which is kind of traditional, again, for Christmas. It seems to take place in Victorian times, especially as the main character is a chimney sweep. And it's a story within a story. And I'll just say there is kind of everything in this story. Love, betrayal, and redemption. It's really a great ending to the book. There were a few stories I kind of liked, but they just didn't quite do it for me. Like, I really like the author, Joe Lansdale. He mostly writes westerns, and I've read several of them and love them. Um, his story in this collection is called... The Second Floor of the Christmas Hotel. And he's trying to do a Christmas Eve ghost story, but I felt like it could have taken place on any other day, so it wasn't really Christmassy. A couple of the other stories felt like urban legends. They weren't really fleshed out enough and just didn't quite land. So that's that book. The next book I want to talk about 
is called Christmas Days, 12 Stories and 12 Feasts for 12 Days by Jeanette Winterson. This one came out in 2016, so it's only a couple of years old. I listened to this one also. This was read by the author Jeanette Winterson and Imogen Church. Jeanette Winterson reads the 12 feasts, which are interspersed. It kind of goes a story and then a recipe, then a story, then a recipe, and so on. And the recipes are not just recipes, of course. They're kind of stories as well. They're just true stories that Winterson tells about her memories of Christmas. So let me tell you about some of the stories and recipes. The first one, funnily enough, is called Spirit of Christmas. (laughs) So it's about a couple that are getting ready to drive out of town to some undisclosed location where they're meeting family for a big Christmas get-together. So they've got their car packed full of presents and food and suitcases and everything they need. And as they're driving through town, the woman sees through a store window a child seemingly trapped in the display window of this department store. And so they stop. She says, pull over, pull over. And she's knocking on the window and communicating with the child who tells them that if they leave some gifts outside the door of the store, then she'll be able to get out of the window. This doesn't make any sense to the woman, but she goes ahead and does it, and poof, the girl finds herself on the outside of the store. (laughs) And so they take her with them. Um, They're driving along with the girl in the back, and they ask her name, and she just says she's the spirit of Christmas. And she also says that if she's not set free by Christmas morning, the world grows heavier, which is a really intriguing way of saying a lot with a few words. So this story is kind of what I think of as magic realism, and a lot of the stories are like that. Some of them seem to involve kind of fairies and just magic creatures in general, but it's set in the real world, so magic realism. There you go. So then after that story, the first recipe is Mrs. Winterson's Mince Pies. And at first I was like, what the heck is this? But then I kind of caught on that it's a memory as well as this recipe. And so the author tells you all about her mother and how she was very formal and liked things just so in their house. Then she tells about the recipe for the mince pies. You get really a sense of the author's mother and what she was like to grow up with. She sounds like a really complicated person. So the next story I'll tell you about is called The Snow Mama. And this is about a snowman who comes to life, but just for this one child who's really a neglected child. Her mother is working all the time. Her father is gone. I think he's died. So it seems like her mother has no time for her. And when she is home, she's just too exhausted to take any interest in her daughter. 
So this snow person, who is a snow mama, as the title implies, comes to life for this child and starts taking care of her. And I really like this story, partly because it's not sort of the dopey Frosty the Snowman story, which I always thought was just kind of lame, the way he says, happy birthday, whenever he comes to life. The snow mama just kind of comes to life, goes back to being a snowman, comes to life again, and so she tells the child, whose name is Jerry, that once they come alive, these snow people, they live forever. That they may seem to melt when the weather gets warmer, but she says that's just us moving on to the next place it snows. The snow mama takes Jerry on these adventures, and Jerry gets to meet all these other snow people that are all around the city, and it's just a really sweet, wonderful adventure that ends up changing the relationship between Jerry and her mother. And it's sort of about the mystery of love. So the next recipe is Ruth Rendell's Red Cabbage. Of course, you probably recognize, if you're a mystery reader at all, the name Ruth Rendell. So this is about the friendship between these two writers, Ruth Rendell and Jeanette Winterson, and how even though they were almost 30 years apart in age, they developed a really close friendship, and they ended up spending many Christmases together. Often they would go walking through London on Christmas Day. Just really fun adventures that they had together. Another recipe I thought was fun was my Christmas Eve smoked salmon. For this recipe, Winterson talks about one of her traditions for Christmas is to listen to the live BBC broadcast of A Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols. And she listens to it every year, no matter where she is in the world. And she talks about how this kind of ritual really concentrates and clears the mind. And that it's also like time travel in a way, because she does this every year. The broadcast from the BBC, she mentions, has been happening every year since 1929, which made me want to listen to it. (laughs) In listening to this recipe and really several of the stories in the book, I felt like the stories were from the 1940s or so. I don't know if it's her style or what. It's It feels sort of nostalgic and not sappy. Another story I really liked was Mistletoe Bride. And this one really feels like a folk tale. It's about a young girl of 17 who is married off to a man twice her age. And there's this gorgeous description of her imagining leaving her old self behind and waiting to meet this new married self at her new home. She's trying to sort of psychologically adjust to her new life that awaits her. And the way Winterson tells this makes it feel like a folktale as well. There's no specific town. I don't know that the girl even has a name in the story. The husband doesn't. So it just makes it feel like it could happen anywhere to anyone, which makes it more powerful. So her wedding is to be on Christmas Day, and the tradition on Christmas Day is to welcome into your home an uninvited guest. A strange woman arrives just as they are starting to play hide-and-seek, the young girl and her soon-to-be husband. 
The girl chooses her hiding place a little too well, and she witnesses through the cracks of this trunk that she's hiding in, this strange woman and her soon-to-be husband have an assignation, shall we say. It's very graphic. This story is not for children. So once the husband and woman leave the area, the girl gets out of the trunk, and she finds out... Um, what the story is between these two from a maid in the house who's been very nice to her. And so the girl decides she has to run away, but she knows she can't go back home. And so the rest of the story is about what she does instead. And I like the story because it seems at first like she's a victim, but it ends up with her being pretty powerful and using that power for good. And I'll leave it at that. Okay, another recipe that I liked was Susie's Christmas Eve Gravlax. I don't even know what Gravlax is, but it doesn't matter because I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> so this memory is about Susie Orbach and how Winterson and she met in 2009 when they were both grieving for different reasons. Susie for her marriage because she had just become divorced and Jeanette Winterson for her father who had just died. And she tells how even though they have very different personalities, they somehow came together and they have found ways to celebrate Christmas together, even though this was a challenge. And you get the feeling of a really wonderful close relationship from her description. Another fun recipe is Dad's Sherry Trifle. And this one is more about her father, obviously. It's nice that she has a memory about her father here because it's obvious that she's very close to her father when she was growing up. She talks about how her dad lived through the privations of the Depression growing up, and so he was always genuinely happy to get a pair of socks for Christmas later in life. And her father just sounds like a very sweet man. Okay, so another story. The second best bed is a ghost story. And there's a few ghost stories in this collection, which are appropriate for Christmas. So this story is about friends who are together at Christmas. This woman goes to visit her friend and her friend's new husband in their new house. And so when this ghost appears to the woman who's visiting, nobody really believes her, which kind of sucks. But it keeps happening every night. This ghost comes back to visit her. And so the woman who lives there finally sees the ghost with her friend. And then they have to believe her. And so then they have to investigate who used to live there. What happened to that family? Come to find out. I'm not going to tell you what happens. Don't worry. The story that has been told about the family is not true. It's not what really happened. And so they get to find out what really happened thanks to this ghost. It kind of reminds me of that movie with Bruce Willis and the kid who sees dead people. Because the way the kid is really afraid of the dead people at first, and then he realizes that they just need some help, and then he's not afraid of them anymore, and it's not so scary. It kind of reminds me of that. So that's all I'll say. And then the last recipe I want to tell you about is the Shakespeare and Company's Chinese dumplings, which is a little bit of a misnomer because 
the dumplings were actually from a Chinese restaurant next door to the Shakespeare and Company bookstore, but close enough. So this one is really about how Christmas is all about collaboration and people coming together. So Winterson tells about this bookstore in Paris, Shakespeare and Company, that's been there since 1919. And the first owner lived until he was 94 and was known for putting up and feeding writers who had nowhere to go, especially on Christmas. He stayed open on Christmas Day. Winterson was included in this group of writers that he helped, and she spent at least one Christmas with them at the store. And she tells some of the stories that the owner tells about the store and how famous people came to read there. For instance, how Allen Ginsberg read Howell at this bookstore with his clothes off. Okay, so there's two more stories I want to tell you about real quick. The Christmas Cracker is my tied for favorite story in this book because it involves orphans, a stray dog, and a giant cracker that should be filled with chocolate and toys, but isn't. And I'll just, that's all I'll say about that. The next one was my other tied for favorite story, The Silver Frog. This is also about an orphanage. I know, I like orphanage stories. This one is about an orphanage, a magic frog, and a horrible director of the orphanage called Mrs. Reckett, who depends on rich families' subscriptions to run the orphanage. But really, she's not using that money to take care of the kids. They are being treated horribly. They don't have proper clothing. She doesn't give them good food. So she's getting ready for this holiday party where the rich people come and celebrate and see what Reckitt wants them to see, not how she really treats the children. So they're decorating the areas that the rich people will see. And Reckitt tells the children, any child who breaks a glass bobble will be locked in the coal house without dinner. Of course, a child breaks one. And then another child tries to take the blame to protect the first child. And so Reckitt punishes them both. Unfortunately, the coal hole is already full of other children she's punishing. So she decides to send them outside in the cold without their coats. Uh, this last part, without their coats, is at the suggestion of the doctor who lives there as well and supposedly helps take care of the children. But really, he's only had training as an undertaker, so not a real doctor. So while the children are outside in the cold, this magical frog helps them after they break the ice on the pond to free some baby frogs. So the magical frog and the baby frogs decide to help the children to sort of repay the favor. And so when they go back into the house, the frogs come with them stealthily so that Reckitt doesn't see them. Then they, along with the children's help, cause utter chaos during the holiday dinner. And it's just a joy. <laughs> so at the very end of the book, there are some Christmas greetings from the author. She talks about how growing up, Christmas was always really important in her family. Like I said before, I really felt the Christmas spirit after reading this book. Winterson, in her stories, she really thinks hard about family, memory, and love. 
I think it's an inspired collection. It's almost like you get a memoir as well as a book of stories because of the recipe sections. So, 10 out of 10. Now let me tell you about the third book for this episode, and that is Claws by Grant Morrison. Illustrated by Dan Mora, came out in 2017, and it is a compilation of issues 1 through 7, published singly in 2015 and 16. It's published by Boom Studios, and it is a graphic novel. It's for adults, definitely. Um, There's a lot of violence in it. So, Grant Morrison, I kind of think of him as a genius weirdo. I was skeptical. I mean, I've read other books of his, but I was skeptical he could tell a Santa Claus story. Because, I mean, it. the subtitle is How Santa Claus Began. So it's an origin story, which, yeah, he loves origin stories, but I just wasn't sure if he could pull off a believably hopeful story about Santa Claus. Uh, But I thought he did pretty well. But you do have to go through a lot of darkness to get there at the end. So the story starts with Claus going into this town, Grimsvig, to sell pelts and other wares. And he hasn't been there in a long time. And he finds it's a really horrible place now. No one's happy. All the men are in the mines the whole day, so there's no men about in the town. They're all forced to work in this mine. And then the guards take his stuff without paying him, and they beat him up. And then they throw him out of the city into the frozen wilderness. It seems like he might die, but then his white wolf, Lily, arrives to chase off the taunting guards. And then they, too, go build a fire in the forest and rest. Oh, and did I mention that Claus is quite fit, as in ripped? No bowl full of jelly belly here. Not your typical Santa Claus. So, as they're sitting around the fire, Claus pulls out a flute and plays a tune, he says, for the Shining family, which you get the idea that this is spirits of the ice and forest. I don't know if he's trying to appease them or be thankful that he's not dead or what. But he plays this tune and Lily sort of sings along, howling. Then these spirits appear and they look not like fairies at all. They look like aliens. They have these big almond-shaped eyes. They're kind of creepy looking, but they do heal Klaus. Klaus or Claus. I could never figure out which when I was reading it in my mind, which way I was pronouncing it. So I kind of went back and forth. (laughs) Anyway, so they heal him and they give him some kind of power As he wakes up in the next morning, he finds that he's surrounded by toys that he's evidently created in the night. He has no memory of this, but he is concerned about the children in the town, Grimsvig, and he wants them to have just some joy. So he brings the toys into town secretly 
Because when he was there briefly, he did see a guard taking a toy away from a child. So he knows that they're not allowed to have toys. So, of course, he wants to bring them some. And then he brings the toys. The baron of the town, Magnus, confiscates them and gives them to his son. And the cycle continues where he brings toys, they get taken, and so on. And then at some point, the backstory comes in and you find out that Claus was found as a baby in the wilderness in the arms of a frozen woman, presumably his mother. So then he's raised in town and he's known as a good boy. And then at one point, he sees the Baron's daughter, Dagmar, feeling sad because her bird has just died and she's burying it. So he whittles a little bird for her. So they stay friends as they grow up, and he becomes the captain of the guard for the Baron. Meanwhile, we see Magnus, who we know is later going to become Baron. We see that he's very jealous of Claus. And then we go back to present time and find that Magnus is somehow married to Dagmar, and Klaus is gone, except that he just came back to the village and got thrown out. And they have a son, Dagmar and Magnus, Jonas, who is a total spoiled brat, and he's being brought up to be just as selfish as his father, Magnus. Magnus has made the town very joyless, and he doesn't allow toys or singing or decorating or even hardly celebrating Yule time, which is what they call Christmas time in this book. And he pushes the men to mine, supposedly for more coal, but really he is mining to free some mysterious spirit that's talking to him and has been talking to him for years. And this spirit has been telling him to make these changes in the town. He's just making it very miserable. So he's promised that if he does all this, the spirit will make him king. But the miners who are being worked to death and driven somewhat mad by this voice, they keep hearing it say, free me, and they know it's some kind of evil demon. Of course, there is an inevitable clash between this demon and Claus, and I wondered the way the demon looked if it was supposed to be Krampus, because it, it's depicted similarly to the depictions I've seen of Krampus before, but it's way more evil. I ultimately liked this book. I reread it, so I liked it enough to reread it. It's a great story. If you already like Grant Morrison's work or Dan Mora's work, I would definitely recommend it. Um, like I said, it does ultimately end up hopeful. It's just that you have to go through a lot of darkness to get there. So that's it for this episode. And I hope if you're enjoying these episodes that you'll leave me a review on iTunes. That's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Happy reading! Happy reading!